As you probably know, I am a huge advocate for education. But here's the thing. Education doesn't necessarily have to come from an institution of higher education. Lifelong learners can collect their information from a whole variety of places. And the great news is that my friends at Augment have developed an alternative to an MBA, an online MBA, that's taught by some of the greatest leaders in the business world. People like founders from Wikipedia and Waze and Shazam and YouTube and more. If you were to undertake an MBA from a traditional school, it would be expensive and it would take you a while, not only to complete, but it would also take you away from your job. Well, at augment.org, the team there has designed it in a way where it's entirely self-paced. It's online. It's over a period of time. You can go as quickly or as slowly as you like. There are over 20 hours of videos over 60 videos, that's about 30 minutes a day that you can spend in topics like entrepreneurship and leadership, uh, professional success, innovation, business strategy. It's all there for you to take in and become the best version of yourself possible. I want you to go to augment.org and poke around there. Look at the curriculum. Look at the offerings. Look at some of the instructors. And if it looks like something that appeals to you, just use the code Monty Scholarship at checkout to give you 50% off. That's augment.org. Use Monty Scholarship for 50% off their regular price. You won't regret investing in yourself. This is Timeless Leadership, where we explore what makes extraordinary people tick. We look for the universal truths that will help make us better versions of ourselves. Hello and welcome to Timeless Leadership. I'm Scott Monty. This is one of those episodes where you and I just sit down together and I wax poetic for a few minutes about an issue that I think is worth hearing about. As a reminder, if you would like my advice on any kind of challenge that you're up against, whether it's personal or professional, whether it's managerial, uh, or whether it is simply about a process that you are looking at, I would be delighted to try to take a crack at it. You just have to email me or respond in the comments on Substack. The email is timelesspod at scottmonte.com. And we'll have another question answered toward the end of this episode. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about, well... The drama that's unfolding with OpenAI, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that particular drama because, <laughs> as you've seen, it is very fast moving. It is changing by seemingly the hour, and I don't know that there is a heck of a lot for us to learn when they're still trying to cycle through all of the issues there. I think one of the things that stood out to me throughout this entire debacle was just how quickly this has happened, how quickly ChatGPT has come onto the space. It's just been about a year. How quickly OpenAI has gotten attention and how quickly this disassociation between its management and its board has happened. 
And I think there's something of an object lesson here for us, because I think you may recall that at Facebook, the internal mantra for many years, and perhaps it still is, was move fast and break things. Move fast and break things. And that is, well, when you're designing software, okay, I get it. You want people to fail fast. You want people to make progress and learn from their mistakes along the way. I think when it comes to artificial intelligence, AI, we are dealing with major changes to how computation is used and how technology is being used by humanity and who it's being used by eventually. And I think rather than moving fast and breaking things, we want to move deliberately. We want to move slowly and with great deliberation. I talked about this with Kara Swisher in the last episode. And a couple of episodes ago, I talked with uh, Jeff Jarvis about the Gutenberg parenthesis. And we talked a little bit about AI as well. And Jeff has a piece out. There's a link to it in the show notes. He had a discussion or was part of a discussion at a World Economic Forum event on AI governance. And the idea here is that when you're creating technology, when you're creating software, when you're creating AI that has the potential to change how humanity deals with itself, there ought to be a lot more consideration about the ethics and the safety and all of the other elements that can affect humans, both good and bad. And as Kara said, it's not a matter of what the people that are truly interested in the great potential of AI is. It's, it's those who may want to put it to nefarious purposes. It's those people who might want to use it for evil rather than good. But that's the nature of technology. You know, before there was fire, we didn't have burns. Before there were ships, there wasn't a shipwreck. Before electricity, we didn't have the electric chair. And there, there's this dichotomy in technology that, yes, we become more efficient. Yes, we advance. But at the same time, we also digress in some areas or we find uh, unintended consequences that happen when technology gets implemented. And particularly when technology gets implemented too quickly. I was reminded not too long ago about an episode of The Twilight Zone that I watched. This was from Season 5, which, if you are a Twilight Zone fan, Season 5 is probably the best of the entire series. Whether it's Talkie Tina or Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, there's some classic episodes from that season. There's one that still stands out to me because it is, I think, even more relevant today than it was in 1960 when it was created. It's called The Brain Center at Whipple's. And you've got Mr. Whipple, who's the CEO, and it opens with him previewing a film with his chief engineer. And on the film is Mr. Whipple himself, and he's making an update to the board of directors. And he uh, goes through all of the numbers. You know, they've got 280,000 employees, uh, 13 plants, 
uh, including, you know, more than 30,000 people working at one plant alone. And then he goes to introduce the, what he calls the automatic assembly machine, and that it'll replace 61,000 jobs and 73 machines and save the company $4 million in insurance and healthcare costs and, uh, you know, profit sharing and everything else. And he calculated that the entire company would be automated within six months, running from what he called a brain center that was filled with similar computers. And his engineer, interestingly, the chief technologist there, became the conscience of Whipple's. And he talked uh, about this danger of putting a lot of men out of work and that humans have a reason for being and having a livelihood is part of that. And he basically put down Whipple's lack of compassion and his, uh, you know, constant drive toward efficiency and manipulation of man and metals, as he called it. And Whipple said, hey, uh, my job is to look for efficiency. I'm here to work uh, on behalf of the shareholders. And it came between creating a greater profit or sacrificing human jobs. Ultimately, we find that Mr. Whipple himself has been replaced by a robot. And Rod Serling closes, reminding us that uh, this is, uh, and pardon me, if I don't get my Rod Serling just right, but he says this is the historical battle between flesh and steel, between the brain of man and the product of man's brain. Between the brain of man and the product of man's brain. And that's exactly what we are up to here. When we have a board of directors and management and even employees that are not on the same page, that can't get their act together, that can't communicate effectively among themselves and run into this kind of drama that we're seeing play out with OpenAI and Microsoft. What hope do we have for the programming that they are working on? Can they create programming that's even better than themselves when they themselves don't understand some of the fundamentals to connect each other with each other. Aristotle reminded us that educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. And I would hope that would continue to be the same with AI. I promised I'd get to listener questions, and so I will. I have a question here from Rob who asks about urgency. He says, My boss frequently drops things in my lap that he stresses are urgent. As I turn to my team to tackle some of these issues, I don't want them to feel like they're constantly running fire drills. At the same time, I want to be responsive to my boss. How can I balance this? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I feel your pain, Rob. Uh, I think we've all been there. And let's face it, our bosses are likely feeling the pressure from someone above them or from someone in their 
organization. And I think you want to, obviously you want to show your boss that you're a team player, but you don't want to grind your own team into oblivion as you're constantly, uh, you know, jumping from hotspot to hotspot for your boss. I think being honest with your team that these are frequent and not of your own making um, is important. I think you want to show some deliberation, show that this is um, an informed process that your team is going to go about and that you want to balance risks. And sometimes there's a risk of not getting other urgent work done or other day-to-day work done as you're being pulled off of those. And that's where you have to manage up as well as manage down. Um, I, I think building consensus between your own team members, um, getting their feedback and input on it. How are they viewing these requests? How is it making them feel? I think what that does is it shows that you're interested in their well-being It shows that you are aware that what they're being asked to do is additional work or, um, you know, perhaps it's just distracting work. Um, And and what that does is that it enhances your credibility in their eyes and helps them see that you are a trusted member of the company, somebody who's looking out for them, not just looking out to kind of shine your own badge in front of your boss. And look, if it's getting to be too hard, if it's getting to eat into people's lives, their personal lives, their time outside of work, then you owe it to your boss to have a conversation about exactly where these requests are coming from and to seek a solution or perhaps make some recommendations to your boss about how the process could go a little more smoothly. Perhaps there's an opportunity to have a weekly check-in with urgent items rather than things just getting thrown over the fence. And I I think if you show up with solutions rather than complaints, your boss is going to make is, is your boss is going to feel like you are a more invested member of the team and someone that they obviously want to trust more perhaps he can or she can bring you into their circle uh, a little more closely so you can understand where some of these challenges are coming from but all in all it's really about gaining trust both out of your boss and out of your team members and showing that you care about getting the project or process done and the toll that it takes on people along the way not an easy kind of thing but then again what part of leadership is easy and these are part of the challenges that help us grow together if you have a question for me like rob did just email me at timelesspod at scottmonte.com and we will take care of your question as the the best we can I want to remind you that there are links to check out in today's notes And that uh, our music here is Americana Aspiring by Kevin McLeod. As you are going out in the world this week, as you are engaging with technology, perhaps even programming your own chat GPT yourself, I would remind you that you have the ability 
to affect the lives of other people around you. And when you do, you'll inspire others to learn more, dream more, do more, and become more, which are the hallmarks of a timeless leader. I'm Scott Monty. Thanks, and I'll see you on the internet. <laughs>